All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 5 is where we're going to jump into. I am uh, excited about this series that we're doing. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to, I think we actually start in verse 8. We're going to skip over part of the first part of that. But um, we have this um, book called Ephesians that Paul wrote uh, to our knowledge. And it is what we have we have been told it is the constitution of the church. And you think of what that means. It, it is a set of principles whereby the church functions. And it tells us not only how we interact with each other, but it tells us why we're here and what we can do. So we've kind of gone through this book. Now listen, I, I'm fully aware that like we could have spent years on the book of Ephesians. And I, and I feel bad a little bit because like we are skipping over big chunks of really helpful, meaningful stuff. But thankfully, you don't get all of your spiritual nutrition from here, right? So you can do some of that digging on your own. But the, the main theme of this study of the book of Ephesians is, is that we are made for more, that we as the church... Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body of the church. And, and his fullness, the fullness of whoever Jesus is, is manifested through the church in this earth, in this world, in every relationship that we have, every item that we own, every place that we go, that is who we are to be. And so, so the first chapter of Ephesians, we said we're made for something more. And the idea was that the church is his body and this is how we are to function in this world. Chapter two, we are made to be more in the other, in other words, that we are his masterpiece. One of my favorite verses in all the scripture is, is Ephesians 2 and 8 and also 9, where it says that we are his workmanship. It also means masterpiece, that we are created in Christ Jesus. And then it says this unto good works. We should live in that. We should, we should own that and believe the fact that we have been created for a specific purpose in life. And then chapter three, we said, we said the fuel for this calling on our life, eh, not guilt, not fear, not shame, but love, that we should be rooted and grounded in love. And that's like this never ending overflowing source from God himself. And if we are rooted in love, we grow into a healthy Organism. If we are grounded in love, then we have a good foundation whereof to build our life and affect change. So, so that was chapter three. Chapter four, we are made to do more. And the idea last week was that we should find value. We should, we should do more in the mundane. Like it's the little things of life in which we honor God. It's, the, it's killing the bear and the lion before you kill Goliath. It's, it's not that that was mundane. I'm just saying, like, okay, maybe watching the sheep before you kill Goliath. That seems more mundane. Doing more in the mundane exactly where God has called you. So now we jump into chapter five here. And again, I apologize. There's so much that we could cover in this chapter. But the idea in chapter five is that we are made to go more. And so how do we organize all of this? How do we as a church Look at everything that needs to happen in the world for the kingdom of God, his fullness in this world. How do we organize all of this? How does the fullness of Jesus get to where it needs to go? The beautiful thing is that we don't have to. Because here's the truth. Your go 
is closer than you ever imagined. In fact, you're already there. Like we think about going and taking this truth of the story of Jesus and the fullness of who he is, but we are already there. Like you are already positioned. So, so Paul, there's a lot more we could go into here, but Paul was in Athens and, and in the book of Acts chapter 17, you have this short passage where he's actually preaching to the crowds and they had hundreds of gods. They wanted to make sure they covered them all, right? They even had a statue there that had a placard on it that said, this one is to the unknown God because we don't want to upset a God that we didn't know about. Okay, so we're going to give him credit here too. So Paul uses that to tell them about God. And so he uses this. He said, you, you have this statue. Let me tell you who this God is that you did not know about. And he explains to them who God is and who Jesus is, a beautiful way to present the gospel to them. And he says this in verses 26 and 27 of Acts chapter 17. He says, from one man, that was Adam, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined, look at this, their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He knew when they were going to be born and he knew where they were going to be living. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now imagine if you were hearing this for the first time, like, like this is, you're trying to try to get some kind of frame of reference here, like, okay, so here's this God that we didn't know, we didn't know, and now we know, and, and how do we reach him? And he's like, he said, God appointed the time, God set the boundaries, he put you in the right place, so that when you did reach out to him, you would be able to find him. How beautiful is that? Thank you, God that I have been placed where I am so that if somebody reaches out, I'm within an arm's reach. God is always within an arm's reach because that's what we have been called. It amazes me how God works. He has a way of getting people's attention. He is so purposeful in bringing people to himself. There's not one moment of life that is out of his control. I don't believe that everything that happens to you is his responsibility, but I believe that he has the ability to take whatever happens to you and make something beautiful of it because we serve a God who can take a crucifixion and turn it into a resurrection. That's not original. Somebody much nicer than me came up with that. But the idea is that he has the ability to take whatever does happen and redeem that and make it beautiful. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we read this in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's desire that every person that we come in contact with know him on a personal level. It's all part of his redemptive plan and every one of us have a role to play in that. We've already talked a little bit in this series about kind of discerning the what. 
Like, what am I good at? What, what can God use? So we said, use your GPS, GPS, the, your gifts, your passion, and your story. Like, God has gifted you with something, like, like some abilities and, and the passions that you have and the story that you can tell all has the ability to connect with people and God can use. That's kind of the what. Now the question is, what's the where? Where are we supposed to go with all of this? So where am I? Maybe a better way to answer or ask that question. It's going to be easier to answer it if we ask it this way. Where is my mission field? Not where am I supposed to go, but where is my mission field? It's been said the two best days of your life, the day that you were born, and when you discover why. That's what we call a sweet spot. Is when you, you know, if, if you golf at all, on the club, there's this spot they call the sweet spot. And if you swing correctly and you hit it correctly, the club does the work. And that ball flies straight. I've not discovered it yet, personally. But from what I hear, there is a sweet spot on that club that if you hit it correctly, I have a lot of sour spots. I think I have bad clubs. But there is, I don't know that mine has any sweetness to it. But so mine are more savory, maybe. So you have this sweet spot, and when you find out your gifts, passion, and story, and you realize that you're in the middle of where God wants you, and that you can use these gifts, passions, and stories right where you are to affect the kingdom of God, and to, and to, and to, and to fill and fulfill Jesus Christ as a church, wherever you are, that's your sweet spot. And Paul goes on to say, here's just a few things that I would recommend, right? He said, first of all, you just got to let your light shine. He's like, you, we all have that sweet spot. We all have a mission field. You just got to let your light shine. In verse 8, he says this, for at one time, this is really interesting to me, he says, you were darkness. You were. It doesn't say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness. Then he says this, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know what that tells me? It's a decision. It's a decision whether you let your light shine. Because here's the truth. You can have the light and still stumble in the dark. You can have it, just you're not turning it on. You're not making use of it. I love flashlights. Hi, my name is Eric Ripplog, and I have a problem. (laughs) I like flashlights, okay? I have my own flashlight cupboard that has many flashlights in it. I recharge batteries because it's just so cool. Like, I am, I am that guy. I'm that nerd. I'm just, I like having flashlights. Don't judge me. I'm not judging you. Don't. I feel it right now from you. But I love flashlights. And I have flashlights everywhere. They're, old, like, like they're, they're, they're handy, right, wherever I need them. But they don't do any good if I don't turn them on. It's not hard. We just have to. Turn them on. You can choose to stumble in the dark if you want to. Even as a child of God, you can choose to stumble in the dark. Verse 11 says this, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. If you read verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, 
Paul goes into detail what it looks like to live as a believer in darkness. Like you understand, Ephesians is written to believers. So he's talking about don't behave this way. Don't do these things. Don't live in darkness because when you live this way, your light is not shining. You are where God has placed you. You believe what you believe. You love what you love. You are where you are for a reason. Let your light shine. Don't stumble in the darkness. I believe this also, that you can have the light and hide it, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. I'm trying not to sing it so that it's not in your mind the rest of the time. You can thank me later. My grandbabies bang that on the piano and they don't say bushel, they say bucket. It still works. Hide it under a bucket? No. It's possible to be in the right place and live in the dark. It's possible to have the light but not shine as a believer, Matthew 5 is where we see that whole reference about salt and light and hiding it under a bushel. And he says this in verse 17. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. See your good. You know what? Light shines. It doesn't shout. I'm not saying you never have to say anything as a follower of Jesus. But wouldn't it be awesome if they saw the light instead of always heard it from you. I just have so much more I want to say there, but I'm being good. Light dispels the darkness. It has no choice. No matter how dark the room is, no matter how dim the bulb, when the bulb comes on, the light scatters. It has no choice. Shine. Paul is saying, let your light Shine like wherever you are. I feel like somebody ought to write a song about that. He says, You just got to let your light shine. He says, This, you just got to wake up to your calling. It's possible. I know it's hard to believe. It's possible to do all the right things and be spiritually asleep. It's possible to show up to all the right stuff and spiritually be asleep. He says in verse 14, this common phrase that they likely would have been familiar with because it is used in the book of Isaiah six times. It was kind of like a hymn or part of a saying that they did. It, was called, it says this, it says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Spiritual sleep has been a problem for a long time. Anybody familiar with the story of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? When they fell asleep and Jesus says, can you not pray with me for an hour? And they fell asleep. In Revelation chapter three, writing to the church in Sardis, these convicting words, it says this, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And then it says, wake up. Like, it's been a problem for a long time. We go through the Christian life 
asleep. We get consumed with insignificant things. We think that we should have this and we should have that. And the truth of the matter is, there is a world around us that needs us to wake up to our calling. We have fallen asleep. You can be involved in church and be asleep. You ever like been in the vicinity of a sleep talker or sleepwalker? My wife is a sleep cleaner. There are few people in my life that scare me more than when my wife is asleep and she, this, my favorite story, right, when it comes to this. And I, I'm happy to go home with anybody after I tell this story. It's the middle of the night. We had only been in Front Royal for a couple of years. And she throws the covers off. And she gets up and she starts to clean our bedroom. We have a clean house. It doesn't really need it, but she's finding stuff to do. I'm like, honey, what are you doing? She says, she said, we got to clean up. I'm like, why are we cleaning? The governor is coming to our house. <laughs> I'm like, babe, the governor is not coming to our house. She goes, the governor is coming to our house. You can, you, can, you can lay on the bed and stay asleep if you want to, but you're going to be embarrassed because the governor is coming to our house. I bet, babe, the governor is not coming. She's getting angry with me. I'm like, what's the name of our governor? I don't know. Was I just talking in my sleep? Yeah, you were really talking in your sleep. I'm sorry. And she comes back to bed. That's how vivid, that's what I live with, okay? <laughs> you can't be too careful. You got, you got sleepwalking, sleep talking, apparently sleep cleaning. I think we got a lot of sleep churching is what I'm saying. I made that up. But it's what we do, right? Sleep churching. Have you ever been asleep so tired when you're driving that you fall asleep at the wheel? You, the rumble strips hit and you don't remember how you got here? Have you ever tried to wake yourself up when you're that tired? You roll the windows down. You poke yourself with sharp objects. You slap yourself or somebody in the near vicinity. That's even funner. You pinch yourself. My favorite is holding my breath. Like it, it increases my heart rate, it gets my blood circulating, and I have a competition with myself to see how much longer I can hold it the next time. Try it. It really does wake you up. You're looking at me like that. So you just hold your breath. All right, that was a good 40 seconds. I bet I can go 50. Pretty soon you start blacking out. You're not falling asleep, but you're, you're waking up. It works. So how do we wake up spiritually? Like how do we, how do we just get out of this rut because we're not called just to come to church on Sunday. We are called to be the fullness of Christ wherever we are in life. With whoever we have been created to be. How do we wake up to that? I don't know, maybe try fasting. Like, and, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, it doesn't mean do things faster. It's like, you change your diet. You fast from something, whether it is food or whether it's electronic devices. Like you just say, all right, for this period of time, I need, I, I need to wake up spiritually. I need God to speak into my heart and life. And I'm going to go on a spiritual fast for this length, this length of time. I'm going to change up my Bible reading maybe. 
Like instead of doing the same thing I always do, maybe I'm gonna, maybe I'll get an accountability partner. We'll start to talk about a certain passage of scripture that speaks to my heart. Maybe you will pray differently. Maybe you'll start a new kind of prayer time with the Lord. And again, maybe you start meeting with somebody and you have prayer, but do something to wake yourself up from spiritual slumber. Paul says, you just got to let your light shine. He said, you just got to wake up to your calling. And then he said this finally, he said, you just have to make your moments count. Make your moments count. You only have so much life to live. He says this in verses 15 through 17. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I believe this with all my heart. You can know Jesus, but waste your life. I don't want that for you. And we all got stuff we're working on. I get it. But there's so much to this life. You have so much potential. There's so much capacity to affect eternity with a life that you have. Because knowing Jesus is not just fire insurance. It's not just staying out of hell. It's like the whole life that you get to live here on earth has value. It has meaning. It's a gift. It's precious. And I believe that you can know Jesus and when it's all over, look back and have wasted the life that you were given. That's why he says, don't be foolish with the life that you have. Don't spend it being angry at somebody your whole life. Or blaming who you are on somebody else or wishing you were somebody else. You can be a believer and still lose that life by not taking advantage of the life that you have been given. There is no mistake who you are or where you are or what you can do or what you love. There's no mistake to that. Can I challenge you this to make three lists when you go home today? This isn't in your notes anywhere. This is free. No charge. Make a list, first of all, of the different roles that you have. All right? Father, son, wife, boss, coach, uncle, cousin, uncle, neighbor, friend, coworker, student. Make a list of the roles that you have in life. Wherever you have a sphere of influence, you have a mission field. So make a list of all of the roles you play in life. The second list that you can write out is make a list of some of your talents. Things you are good at doing. Let's just be honest. There's some things you're really good at. Some of those things we don't need to know. But there are going to be some things that you're really good at doing. Make a list of those. For some of you, it's just like, I can listen to people. Some of you, you can really talk to people. Whatever you're really good at, make a list. And then make a list of issues that pique your interest. So here are the roles that I play. Here's, here's, who, here's who I am in the lives of other people. And then here are some of my talents. This is what I can do. And then here are a list of issues that pique my interest or hobbies 
that I enjoy. If you like to care for the elderly, if you believe in fostering children, if you want to feed the hungry, or if you like to cook, or you like car restoration, or you like to go hunting, make a list. So in other words, those things that whenever you talk about them, your blood pressure goes up a little bit, your heart races just a tad, because it's something you're passionate about. You enjoy that your heart stirs. This is who you are. That is what God has given you. That is your go. That is your mission field. Your go is closer than you ever imagined. That's what we're trying to say is that God has made you who you are. He has created the passions that you have based on your life experiences. You have these stories to tell, and I would love for you to live in to that. And by the way, the go doesn't have to be a place. God called Paul to a people group And that mission of life took him to a lot of places. But he was called to reach a certain people group. And in a similar way, you may be called to help single moms. You might be called to help mentally challenged children or people with a specific kind of cancer. That is your sweet spot. Your go, my go, is anywhere there is an opportunity for significant potential kingdom growth. That's where our go is. And here's the cool thing about your calling is you don't have to wait because it doesn't take a seminary degree to live into who God has called you to be. It might. It might. That might take you to the level that you need to go. But can we, dif- can we disenfranchise this a little bit? Not everything God has called you to do has to be something that Virginia Hills Church sponsors. It can be just something that God calls you into. Boom, how beautiful would that be? Like, we are, we're, we're not the bottleneck. Like, we're not the funnel of God's blessing. I believe it's a good idea to be part of a local body. I believe, that I, I, it's a good idea. You get a lot of encouragement here. And I would love for you to continue to come. But don't feel like Whatever it is that God has called you has to be a church program. We don't need more programs. We need people to care about people and to affect change. In fact, to be honest with you, I would encourage you this. Rather than feel like I need to start this program, how about if you just help a person first? Like, I feel like God has called me to this. Okay, well then do this. But we feel like God's called us to to start this program. All right. Well, how about if you help this mama first? How about if you do this first and see how that goes? And then let God grow this thing. Here's a few things that I hope can help get this started for you. Like stepping into your go. First of all, I believe you need the courage to believe who you are. Most of us spend our life wanting to be somebody else. God bless you. Most of us spend our life wishing we weren't like who we are. Or spend our life trying to Please, somebody else. 
And we don't even know that that's why we do what we do. You have a creator. How encouraging is this? And his voice speaking into you has to trump everything else that you're listening to. You are his child. And you are who you are. And he has made you who you are. And how beautiful is it that he wants to use who you are where you are? Own that. And believe that. The courage to believe who you are and then the wisdom to embrace your experiences. And let me just kind of like parentheses this just a little bit. Like I am fully aware that you have a painful past. Not everybody, but I've heard some stories. And some of you don't feel worthy or capable to live into your calling. But let me say to you that your brokenness, the place that you have been hurt the deepest, may be the place God uses the most in you. Your past may be a stepping stone for all he has for you to be, to do, and to share. As I said earlier, he would love to take that crucifixion and turn it into a resurrection. And then thirdly, the decision to take a step in that direction. We all face a fork in the road. We have to choose what we're going to do. Can I just ask you, can you take 10% step? Like, can you, can you rotate like 10%? Just like move a little bit in that direction? You're like, I don't know about the whole thing. Like, I don't know if I could start this whole thing because I don't want to fail. And, and I don't, okay, can, you, can we take a 10% step? Can we tweak our life 10% to allow God the opportunity to work in and through you in that calling or in that dream that you believe God has placed in your heart. Maybe you don't quit your job tomorrow. Maybe you just start volunteering once a week. Maybe you just take a step in that direction, but start to do something. And then finally, the faith to risk to go. I don't know what that means for you. And it seems to go <laughs> against what I just said about the 10%. But I don't know who I'm talking to. Some of you are like, 10% is good for me right now. And I'd be good with that too. Like if you would take 10%, like I'm going to do this much right here. I'm going to head that direction. I'm going to give that much of my time. I'm going to volunteer for that program. I, I believe in this and I think we need this, but I'm going to make the phone call. I'm going to at least find out more information. I'm going to meet with somebody. I'm going to start the conversation. That's my 10%. But for some of you, it's like, it's like a get out of the boat kind of moment. Like I'm going to, I'm going to walk on water, but before I do that, I got to get out of the boat. And that's where all my security is. But we're afraid. And fear is the enemy's whisper in our heart that you can't do this. So who do you listen to? The God who created you for this or the father of lies? Sometimes you simply just need to go. Drop everything and move forward. 
Not all missionaries cross oceans. Some of them just go across the street or the cubicle next to you or down the aisle. I know it's safe in the harbor, but ships were not meant to stay in the harbor. And so my question is, what is God calling you into? Like you're made for more. And church is not just Sunday. This is beautiful. This is corporate worship. I love all of this. But let me be honest with you. More people need you out here than do in here. People need you there. That's where, that's where God is calling us into. That the fullness of Christ is not in here. We need the fullness of Christ out there. So what is God placed in your heart? What is, that, what is that gifting that you feel? What is the passions that you have? What are the stories you can tell that God can use to direct you to your call? That what is your go? It's closer than you think, closer than you ever imagined because you're probably, most of you, already there. Let's pray. I don't even know what this means, God. I, I would love to pretend to know, but there's some beautiful older folks in our congregation that think, well, I've pretty much lived it all out, but I'm just thinking the value that is there just beneath that gray hair. God, I love who you have in our church and help them to be inspired to pour into young people all that life has taught them. And I pray, Father, that they would not be retiring at this point and becoming spiritually asleep, but that they would be looking for ways to be reinvigorated to worship and serve you and inspire others. I know that mama that is just sleepless and tired and worn out. Maybe she needs some light at the end of the tunnel. And maybe there's somebody here that can partner with her to kind of help alleviate some of that. And it's not always going to be like this. And help us, Father, to make the most of our opportunities in life. And the young couples that are just starting out thinking they have their whole life ahead of them, help us to realize the value that our youth has and the energy that we have that we can do some great things. I just pray, Father, that you would use a simple message and that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. We'd go home this afternoon and begin to, to take note, to make lists. And to wake up and to let our light shine and be who you want us to be in the mission field that you've called us into in Jesus' name. Amen.